Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 37, The Beginning. Very ominous title. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, why is the beginning ominous? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think it was ominous. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because leaving... Dramatic. I'm going to say it's because leaving where we left off the last chapter with them literally planning a war. I was going to say, we know it's the beginning of the war. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe that's why I'm like already thinking it's ominous. Uh, you know, giants and and dementors and such. Oh my! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we get into all of that, we have some shout-outs to make. This is, by the way, this is the last chapter of Goblet of Fire. Aww. We're on the last chapter. Can you believe it? We're gonna have a wrap-up summary of Goblet of Fire. We're gonna have it in the non-spoiler, so those reading along for Goblet of Fire for the first time can enjoy our wrap-up of the book, uh, and if we want, we could delve into other things going forward in the spoiler section, but this is the last chapter. I can't even believe it. It's such a big book. I thought such that, a big book. Yeah, How it, long have we been making episodes for this book? It's nearly two-thirds of a year. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> like 37 out of 52 weeks. It's, like, it's a long time. Um, yeah, book five is a long book, too, so get ready for that. <sighs> but anyway, we have some shout-outs, so I want to start out with our shout-outs from Twitter. We have Musical Lyric Lingo that we want to shout out there. You can find them at Musical Lyrical L. You know, they, they actually recommended our podcast on one of those uh, Twitter threads. of oh, like, thanks. Yeah, give a shout out to a podcast that you enjoy or whatever. Oh. And they complimented us and said that our podcast is class. Oh, wow. So thanks. thank you to Musical Lyric Lingo. Check them out at Musical Lyrical L. They're clearly talking about the guests. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, and then, well, you know who's talking about the host right here? Raider Max at Raider Max. It's Hufflepuff, but it's Raider Max F, uh, H-F-L-P-F-F. Raider Max H-F-L-P-F-F on Twitter, uh, who said he agrees with uh, Dan, me, that Trelawney doesn't deserve the amount of hate that she gets. Oh, Raider Max. So there's a host nod for you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Raider Max, for that. We have some comments on the episodes. So if you look, if you're using Spotify to hear our podcast, you can actually leave a comment for us and we can see that. And uh, on the first episode, we had a couple of new comments. First, I want to give a shout out to, I, I want to say, Adalyn, A-D-A-L-Y-N-N, who said, give me a shout out. Here's your shout out, Adalyn. Thank Hi, Adalyn. And then we also had Kay Spears, who says, I loved it so much I almost died. Wow. Uh, we hope you didn't and you listen on and continue listening to the podcast. We, but we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kay Spears. On our Goblet of Fire Chapter 31, the third task, we got an awesome comment from Philip Rhodes, who goes, I love the episodes that Elizabeth is the co-host. Her laugh is infectious, which is a great compliment, and it most certainly is. 
And I do my best to try to get her to laugh <laughs> specifically for that reason. I love when she just laughs like as her introduction. Like you know it's her just by her laugh. Yep, exactly. She's my favorite. Uh, yeah, so thank you for that. I'm sure she loves and appreciates that comment. Uh, and then from Instagram, we have uh, Katz Vans, uh, K-A-T-T-S-V-A-N-S, who says on our chapter 34 of Goblet of Fire Death Eaters, um, she goes, love that you essentially diagnosed Voldy with mommy issues. And I think I commented back on the, <laughs> I think I commented back on the Instagram, it's like, yeah, he probably has a lot more issues than just mommy issues, but yes, that was uh, that was a fun conversation that we had. Like all the biggest serial killers do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so thank you to all of those people for the shout-outs. Again, you can leave those uh, comments on Spotify that we can take a look at. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also have polls on Spotify that you can participate in. Um, it all means a lot to us, and we'll have some big... Things coming forward, going into Order of the Phoenix, that will be a little bit different for us. So, uh, including the new intro, which we're going to work on very soon here. And uh, once again, we are in Orlando, Anna and I, and we will be doing a little Instagram live. Um, Not sure exactly how long or what time, so... Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram for those details as they pop up a little bit closer to the day. Closer to the day, we'll tell the time, so hopefully people will join us. Yeah, and part of that is just because we don't literally know where we're going to be at that that given day. Uh, So bear with us. It might be a little late on the timing, but, you know, whatever. Uh, we got to make sure we get a lunch in. We're not hangry, so we can actually, like, respond. <laughs> I will be going on the Hogwarts ride. You cannot stop me. Multiple times. Yeah. yeah, it, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll be having fun. Anyway, so we now have the last chapter of Goblet of Fire to discuss. Uh, there, there is a lot that happens in this chapter. Uh, we get uh, Harry meeting with Cedric's parents. We get a meeting with Hagrid. Uh, we get the Leaving Feast, uh, which I think they actually refer to it as the Leaving Feast, which I feel like is yeah, a very dull like name. That's not, I feel like that's it's weird. the first time they've called it that. Yeah, too. that's weird. Yeah. That's a weird name. Um, so we get that. We get some goodbyes. We get a Rita Skeeter bombshell drop. And uh, we, we have a wonderful donation made. Yes. <laughs> so yes. first of all, let's just start off with uh, Harry meeting Cedric's parents because... That cannot be easy. Yeah, I, I'm kind of to the point it cannot be easy. Why did this meeting take, other than a plot device for JK, why did this meeting happen? Because it could have gone really bad. It, it could have gone very badly. My question is, there had to be some adult supervision. Here. Like This I had to be like a Dumbledore so, yeah. orchestrated this and is like in the presence so nothing goes wrong. Right. Uh, that being said... Part of me thinks Harry took this upon himself. Harry seems like that kind of uh, stand-up kind of guy to be like, Agreed. no, 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 for, for me, for my healing process. Well, I could see I Harry see wanting that. that for sure. There would be yeah. no hesitation for Harry at all. Right. I'm just a little surprised sometimes that the adults allowed it. Yeah. Being the way and, and, is. Uh, but obviously it went very well and was probably healing for both sides. Notice that it was the mother having the conversation with that we see. I don't know if this is the only little snippet that we see of this conversation, 
but obviously you've had Amos Diggory. The, every time you see him in this book, he's touting that Cedric beat Harry at something, or Cedric is better than Harry at X, Y, or Z. And he's quiet here. And it's the, the mother of Cedric that really has a conversation with him, and they're very understanding. They're thankful that Harry brought the body back, which, I, I mean, honestly, if that would be a big deal. Oh, I mean, that would be a massive, massive yes. deal. Like, let's put everything else aside. It's like, we get to have final moments with our son. And I feel like people who don't get a body back never get full closure. Yeah. Like, how yeah. many people to this day, their remains are brought back from the fields of France for World War II vets? Like, it's just, there's something in it to get closure. Sure. I mean, you hear the stories all the time about, like, people from Vietnam or, you know, just POWs from a long time ago, mm-hmm. Korean War, whatever have you, that they're just not, you never get that full closure right. of what happened to them or um, being able to have that goodbye in person, I guess, if you will. But it's, it's a, a poignant thing. Uh, Harry offers, him the, the, offers them the prize money, uh, which is a stand-up offer from Harry. He's trying so hard to get rid of that goal. Uh, they refuse, which I think is an interesting, I mean, obviously... I presume, and this is a straight-up assumption, we know Amos works for the Ministry of Magic Mm -hmm. and is fairly important at the ministry. So I assume he's getting paid well. We don't know what Cedric's mother does, but for whatever assumption I have, I assume they're doing okay. Yeah. But there's that. Uh, So uh, we get a meeting with Hagrid. And Hagrid just has moments where... He's the right voice you need at the right time to just yes. make everything, just make everything simpler, easier. Hagrid tells Harry when they're when Harry's talking about you know whatever. He tells them that Harry did as much as your father would have done, and I can't give you no higher praise than that. And that's what makes him smile for the yeah, first time in, in days. days. Yeah. Uh, you know, through the first couple of books, I, I feel like it's the James mentions that gets reactions from Harry the most yeah it's it like riles him a little bit more it gets mm-hmm. him more amped or more fortified like in the graveyard or mm-hmm. uh you know Molly and I were talking about in that graveyard scene it, it felt like Voldemort was trying to poke at him this entire time but in poking at him you yeah, just kind of strengthened yeah mm-hmm. which is a miscalculation on his part which we know he can be uh he miscalculated he miscalculates With a surprising like amount. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Misreads the situation. Uh, yeah, no, that's another that's another point of James mentions getting uh, reaction like from here. I like to point them out so maybe people will understand why he's my favorite more. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So we have the, the apparently it's called the Leaving Feast. What know, a whatever. terrible name. It's a terrible name. It's a very blonde name. Uh, it probably named. So it's usually adorned with the house colors of whoever won the... the usually a big celebration. Yeah, the house cup that year. But instead, adorned in black uh, for Cedric. And I felt like this was an interesting, an interesting vibe, uh, to say the least. You have Dumbledore with his end-of-the-year speech, if you will. And obviously it's very Cedric-heavy. And it's mm-hmm. very... And we'll say a couple of quotes from that in a second here. But ultimately, it, you know, it's comments about Cedric and it's Voldy. He ties the two together and he ties the two together with Harry. And it's an interesting um, note that we get here. 
when he mentions Cedric and everybody toasts Cedric, there's a note in the book, and it specifically says, everyone. Yes. Everyone. Yes. Raised a glass to Cedric. And we've been at this school for four years now. It's hard to get all four houses to agree on anything. But all of the Slytherins stood up and were like, Cedric deserves it. Interesting note. Then he ties it in with Harry. Which, why did he do this? That was a, that was a miscalculation. Yeah. Well, especially the way he worded it. He worded it very poorly, too. I don't understand why he did this to Harry. I, like, Harry seems to handle it pretty well. He doesn't seem upset. But to do this to a teenager, I think, is a, mis- a rare miscalculation on Albus's the, part. I think the word choice he used was particularly unfortunate. Uh, he used, like, in connection with or something like that. Yeah, Making there it, must be one other person who sh- who needs to be mentioned. Or, yeah. In connection with, yeah. which m- in my... Uh, I think he even mentions again that he brought back Cedric's body. And he just, I don't know, like just the things that he decided... It's a little TMI. Yes, very much so. He didn't need to divulge what he divulged. And the word choice that he used, I have a problem with because in the world that law and order exists or like CSI, <laughs> like when I hear in connection with, I'm like, oh, you're an accomplice to this crime. That's exactly how he worded it. Yes, there is someone else who must be mentioned in connection with Cedric's death. That's a poor word choice. Yes. Because that implies well, he was a part of Cedric's about death. All these great things that Harry was able to do that Cedric through no fault of his own, didn't do. So this is the meme. This is the meme that you always see with Dumbledore of like, I am a completely unbiased individual who treats everybody (laughs) equally. Harry, you have really nice glasses. 100 points to Gryffindor. Like, this is that meme. Except with poor word choice on top of it, with the in connection to. So it's like... This is, as much as we gushed about Dumbledore in the last episode, this is a, a rare misuse of Harry words. Harry does not need any more attention brought to him in connection with this situation right now. Uh, but when he mentions Harry and mentions that he should get a salute too, not everybody stood up for Harry. Well, Harry's still alive. Harry, Harry's still alive. But I, I think it does, and uh, you know, you guys have gotten on me all book about the, the Cedric Diggory of it all, and we can get into that later, but I think it's interesting that they made a point that everybody in the hall raised a glass to Cedric, and not everybody is as willing to do that for, for Harry. I, I, I do think, I'm not trying to knock Cedric here. I, I can see your point. I agree with your point. I think Cedric was a very special boy. Oh, look at you. Wordplay. I like it. <laughs> um, but I do think, and this I will give kudos to Dumbledore for, we didn't experience it in our high school situation, but when you are high school age and someone in your class dies, someone in your school dies, it doesn't matter if you knew them, if you were close to them, it has an effect on you. Sure. So everybody, nobody's going through it like Harry's going through it, but I think everybody's going through something. So kudos to Dumbledore for recognizing it and addressing it with them. And I think that's going to be a big part of the reason why not even a Slytherin would hesitate to raise a glass to Cedric. I think part of it was, and the the quote that Dumbledore, one of the quotes that Dumbledore has is what we have in our intro. The whole remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind 
and brave. Remember Cedric Diggory. And I think that, I, I think it was an episode with Jen specifically who pointed out that Cedric seems like the kind of guy who if Colin Creevy came up to him yes. and wanted a picture with him, mm-hmm. he would be like, he would- No hesitation. No hesitation. He would He's engage like, hey, in the conversation. Yeah. And that's a seventh year in what, a second year at this point or something like that? He, he wouldn't care yeah. uh, who you are or where you came from. He'd treat you the same as anybody else. And skipping ahead a little bit, but you get when Crumb says goodbye, he's like, I'm sorry about Cedric. He was polite to me always. And then he doubled down and said, always. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to say, you know, you were kind to me always. And I appreciate that. He was like, no, he was kind to me always. Always. And I'm like, that's Which different. Which does bring up the question, does that mean some Hogwarts students weren't being polite to Crumb on the Oh, yeah. Train? Oh, I am 100% yes. sure. I know, which I... You know, some things you just don't think of as you're reading, and it's sad. But, uh, but it, it goes back to that like that image of them after their names were drawn, just standing by the fireplace as Harry walked in, and they're all like, no, we're... For, for three competitors, they got along fairly well, all three of them. Yeah. Uh, which is a statement to all three of them, really. And then, and then think of it this way. I'm sorry, I'm going on about Cedric, and I don't mean to. But think about how Cedric tolerated Harry. A lot of other Hogwarts students would have been really upset. Stealing the shine away from you. Now you have two Hogwarts champions? I'm the Hogwarts champion. And he didn't bat an eye at it. He told the Hufflepuffs to stand down when they were having that reaction. Never batted an eye. He He helped Harry out. He he treated it like, okay, it's it's just another thing. And we'll go by, hey, we're both Hogwarts guys. It's It's all good. We're all fine. Um, which is how he treated the, the Quidditch match. He literally shared the Triwizard Cup with Harry. It yep. could have just been his. Yep. I think that was a special trait that gets overlooked a lot with Cedric, is a lot of people would not have accepted that and would have fought that. Well, I think that's why one of my favorite, if it hadn't been a spoiler, I would have wanted, I would have voted for it to be included in our intro. But the end of the speech for this feast is Dumbledore saying, remember Cedric, remember if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy. Remember what happened to a boy who is good and kind and brave. And that's, I mean, poop, I'm about to cry. You think, you always accuse me of hating Cedric Diggory, and I don't. I just don't get why everybody thinks he would have grown up to be so important. Like, anyway. Putting to the side, Cedric Diggory was Maybe lovely. because he was he good was, and kind he, and... <laughs> yeah, that. But I just, like, I love that Dumbledore... It could have been something that one of these hundreds of students, it could have been the tipping point for them. What if some Slytherin did have the chance to eventually become a Death Eater, not have Voldemort's back? And they do think of Cedric Diggory. Yeah. I think... Look, obviously... This is the only book that we get full Cedric in. Yes. Uh, we get a little bit of him in Prisoner of Azkaban, but this is essentially his book, yeah. uh, where he's a main character in the book. And um, I, I think a, I've, come at, I've come at you a couple of times for the, the Gryffindor mentality, because <laughs> the Gryffindors don't like him for obvious reasons. Yeah. That being said, they still stand for him at the end. But there's a lot of... 
looking through Harry's point of view. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's dating Cho Chang. That's right. that's my girl. Now mm-hmm. he's like some different shade of glasses on Cedric now. Right. So now we're reading an opinion mm-hmm. of Cedric through Harry's eyes. Now we're reading an opinion of Cedric through Ron's eyes that we get an interesting opinion mm-hmm. a couple of times. And I think some people take that opinion away as that's what Cedric is. And I've talked with people who have, like, oh, Cedric was a pompous, well, arrogant people. I don't think people. it helps that Robert Pattinson is the physical movie embodiment of him and then went on to be Twilight. I think that has <laughs> skewed a lot of people's opinion of Cedric as well. I'm really happy you said Twilight at the end, because I think his portrayal in the <laughs> yeah, movie is nothing fine. nothing against his portrayal of Cedric Diggory, but what... That's Twilight fair. did to people's opinion of it, I think. Has That's fair. Twisted. And you're probably right on that <laughs> as well. Uh, but so I think their opinion gets twisted by a couple of lines here or there. Yeah. Or, or the, that, what you just said. And if you read this book and you read Prisoner of Azkaban, the little bits that he's in there, it's like, where are you getting that yeah. from? Why wouldn't you want to be friends with him? Why wouldn't you have a crush on him? Why? I just, yeah, he's an all-around yeah. good person. Uh, well, there's the book wrap-up on Cedric Diggory's. <laughs> um, there you have it. I mentioned that, you know, Crumb had his goodbye at the end of this feast. Uh, Floor also had her goodbye, and it was kind of a pleasant, cordial goodbye. Um, Get the hint. We'll see her again, getting John to work on her English. Yes. Uh, also, she, she gives Harry a kiss on the cheek, and he's he gets a little bit of that Vila vibe of like, ooh. What? Oh, oh, wait, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, everybody. <laughs> like, it swayed just a I little think bit. It was just back. Ron. Well, Ron got swayed twice. <laughs> he got swayed by Floor. He got more times than that. Well, no, I'm saying he got, he got swayed by Floor, and then he got swayed by Crumb. <laughs> <laughs> because he got a little jealous that him and Hermione had their moment together yeah. at the end. And then he's like, inner struggle fighting with himself, and then he's like, can I have an autograph? Uh, to which I'm just like, just facepalm. I'm like, come on, Ron. I'm kind of cute. So he got floored twice. Floored twice. Ooh. You didn't even plan that. Puns. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's the, the floor and the, the crumb of it all. They get onto the Hogwarts Express. And if you thought that was the end of the chapter... No. <laughs> I feel like the actual important things are, well, the Cedric speech is obviously important. Yes. But, um, but yeah, we're getting into some plot bombshells. Yes. yes. <laughs> the first of which is uh, Rita Skeeter. We note, uh, we didn't in the episode, last episode, but Hermione slams a glass down or makes a slamming noise. We don't that's even know. how his moment with Molly ends. Yes, that's the touching moment with Molly ends with a slam from Hermione. And we find out that Hermione has imprisoned Rita Skeeter. Yeah, how humane is this? I know Not I at don't all. I like Rita, but like... That was my... Yikes, my that was exactly my thought of like, this is, this is rough. I don't know if I'm okay with this. I don't know that I'm really okay with this. She's... Just throwing a couple twigs in there doesn't make this okay. No. This has been days at this point. <laughs> I think it's been a full week. Yeah. Uh, and she put an unbreakable charm on the yeah. bottle so she, she, she can't yeah. transform back. My goodness. Okay. <laughs> but so we have this what if. Do we want to get into the what if now of it all? I mean, I feel like this would be the time. Okay. Right? So what if Hermione didn't notice 
Rita, the unregistered animagus that she is, peeping in on this conversation. And Rita got to go and actually report on the Dumbledore Fudge argument. What happens well, then, Anna? I'm about all the details of Harry. That's what I usually think of. But the Dumbledore Fudge argument, I feel like Explosive. That would... That's an expose right there. Yes. I mean, can you, the, I feel like the Wizarding World would have been torn apart big time. Everything Fudge wants to keep hidden would have come out. So I, I have tons of questions on this, on this what if. My first question being just that. Who is more okay with Rita actually writing the article? Oh, Dumbledore, for sure. I think Dumbledore would love yeah. the idea that Rita just goes off and mm-hmm. writes this expose about, uh, about Voldy returning. But do you think Fudge would put his political foot down on Rita? And pull some strings and get her muted. Oh, I think for the initial article, Rita gets away with it. After that initial article, I think muzzled gets, a little bit. Oh, not even just a little bit. I think you know your her career is ruined. Got that initial paper. After that, it's retracted. It's um, yeah. You think she disappears to a cell in Azkaban randomly, <laughs> or? I hope it wouldn't get that. Um, you don't know how, like, you push could. Fudge to the yeah. limits, you don't know. It's true. He has power. It's true. And then the other thing is, if you're Rita, what do you do with it? Do you true. Do you sit on it? Because she's not stupid. She mm-hmm. would know that mm-hmm. that could be the torpedo of her to her career. It, she's got to make she's good real decisions. She's good at sitting decisions. on stories until they're yep. time for them. I mean, stuff starts to go sideways. She can swing it against Fudge and write it as a pro Dumbledore thing. Does she or... go to Fudge and be like, hey, I heard that I got some I stuff have on you. this article unless you do this, this, and this for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it never comes out. She just, it's just there to blackmail Fudge. <sighs> she, she would have a world of opportunity. Mm-hmm. But then that also creates the other option is, well, she did hear all of this. And yes, Hermione has her in a very tight spot right now literally and figuratively but she knows it so i mean there's always she's got that information in her back pocket regardless yeah but i think as long as hermione is around because hermione now has that little bit of control hermione is essentially blackmailing her she could go to azkaban for being an unregistered animagus so she's not going to put herself in that's banned for that. So I think as long as Hermione's around, she has the knowledge, but there's no way for her to use it. It's uh, it's an interesting what if in a lot of different... There's a lot of different factions you can break off yeah, in that are. what if. Um, but yeah, the Rhea Skeeter of it all Rita. is broken way open in this chapter. Uh, we're not, because it's an unbreakable charm. But and So we get this entrance, and Malfoy starts by giving a compliment it's like, wow, that was really well done, Granger. Good job. <laughs> also, he, he then gets into the no-go territory. This prime example of why Draco is just actually a pretty awful... Uh, so most of what we see from Draco is schoolboy, childish... 
But this to me feels like oh, more than that. Oh, agree. Yeah. So what we've seen mostly is him being childish, yeah. dumb. This is dark. Yeah. Like him invoking it's the really dark, dark Lord. And then... Bring you all the way back to Sorcerer's Stone. You sh I told you you should have chosen better. Mm-hmm. And then he begins to invoke Cedric's name. And by invoking Cedric's name, he gets five hexes. And it's, it's Ron, Harry, Hermione, Fred, and George. All hitting the three of them, because his crab and Goyle's with them. Mm -hmm. All hitting them with, uh, I think it was like, it was a very interesting description. It was like fireworks going off yeah. in the compartment. I loved it. Like lights everywhere, and all of a sudden. <laughs> and then they're just, and then like, I love the description. It's a very Fred and George type description where it's like, I, 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 forgive me, I can't remember which one's which, but George comes over and takes care to step on like Crab or Goyle. George steps on Malfoy and Fred steps on Crab. Yeah, they like yeah. take specific care to step on them as they're, and but then I also love their sense of humor where it's like, wow, you know, apparently those should not be used together. <laughs> like, like tentacles hanging off their face? face. Yes. Not not ideal. Not they were ideal. still passed out when they were leaving too. Like those five strong hexes. Yeah, that's uh, job, yeah, that's well. Harry's gotten much better at yeah. it. Hermione and Ron are the ones that taught him. Exactly. And then Fred and George are you know Fred and George. Fred and George. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of speaking of Fred and George, uh, we get into the Ludo Bagman of it all, and we we find out all that there is to know about Ludo Bagman. So. In light of this, uh, Harry makes the choice to donate his thousand galleons that he has been trying to just give away. Right. Um, I feel like this is the best possible way he could have finally landed on giving it away. And you know what I love I most about this is their friend George's reaction to it. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah. We, we can't do that. You earned it, number one. You know, you need it, number two, you know, no, no, get get out of here with that. They rejected it, like, one, two, yeah. three times, like, they rejected it multiple times yeah. before they finally, reluctantly, right. accepted it. And I think... And the, I feel like it's even really just because Harry gives them caveats, I feel like, that they accept it. Yeah. Uh, I feel that reluctance to accept it is key to their character development and oh. who they are as people Definitely. down at their core. Definitely. You know, obviously there's the, the jokes and the the pranks and all the things that are honestly a little morally questionable if we really get down <laughs> to it. But at their core, who they are, are good kids. They're now coming into, I think they're, oh, what was the number? This is a good Harry Potter trivia. What was the number of their savings? What did they actually bet? 37 galleons. Like, some sickles and some, some nuts. I there's a seven in there, maybe seven sickles. I don't remember sure. how many nuts. But, but yeah. less than 40 yeah. to 1,000. Yep. That's a significant. And I, the other part is they're smart kids. Yep. You know, obviously to invent some of the stuff that they're inventing, smart. But business-wise, they seem to be yeah. inclined towards a business model. So 1,000 galleons is something to work with. All right, so um, some non-spoiler Goblet of Fire summaries. And, you know, there's been a lot. <laughs> there's been a lot in this book. There's been a lot. So uh, we have already talked about the diggery of it all, but this was his book, essentially. The only one he's ever uh, a major player in. We have the Triwizard Tournament. We have the Yule Ball. We have 
some two different wizarding schools being entered into the equation. We have the Quidditch World Cup. We have, obviously, our love of Barty Crouch Jr. Where, where do you want to start on this Goblet of Fire summary? Well, we we are president and vice president of the Barty Crouch Jr. Mm-hmm. fan club. I don't know. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, we can start with some Barty Crouch Jr. We've we've gushed about him a lot on this podcast uh, for, for what I believe is good reason. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, as insane as he probably was, and as much as he needed so much therapy at a young age, yes. daddy and issues, daddy issues to an ins- like just an epic level. Such an epic level. But still, what he was able to pull off and what he was able to accomplish, I mean, we, we can go into another what if of, like, if Barty Crouch didn't uh, fool around, you know, with Harry at the end there, and he just takes off. Well, and we kind of talked about that before. If, like, he had survived, I think the Death Eaters would have been completely different if Barty Crouch Jr. had been able to survive. He would have personally taken upon himself to kill him. If Voldemort had any inclination to let Barty Crouch go... Like, uh, who, 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 Avery. I think Avery's gone. Because he particularly hated Avery for using the Imperious Curse as an excuse. I mean, anybody who used any of that. I think any of those Death Eaters in the cemetery would have been in big trouble Oh, if, Barty Crouch Jr. Lucius? Yeah. His, like, primo life? Yep. That, yeah. I, I would be real nervous if I was Lucius. And I see Barty Crouch Jr. walk back into the room, I'd be real nervous. <laughs> Any of them should be real nervous. Well, especially if Voldy welcomes him back so triumphantly. Yeah. You know, he uh, just berated all of them when they mm-hmm. came back. If Barty Crouch Jr. got to come back, I think he would welcome him with oh, yeah. open arms. Yep. And I think that would put a lot of them on notice real quick. Definitely. So. Well, then he was smart. I think Death Theaters would have been in a lot better place in some of their missions. If Barty Crouch you have Jr. another actual Crouch. general. Uh, instead of the the crab and goyles, and uh, you know the and actually loyal general. Yes, a fully committed yes. to the cause guy who who's out there. I mean, the others that are in Azkaban, um, you know, they'll they'll obviously be welcomed back, right? Uh, and be given a place of honor because they served. They served their time. They did. So how sane are they going to be? But. Probably not at all, but I mean, also, how sane are you to really follow well, yeah, a sociopathic killer? Touche, I think all of them have their issues. So clearly, he's just one of the best parts of the book. It almost—it's really, almost sad that we don't get more of him. Yeah, a little bit. I—I I think he's, I, you know, I've said this before. I think he's one of the best written characters in the series, and I would double down on that. I, I think he's fantastic, and I know we're gonna, as we go into the other books, I know we're gonna read character snippets that we've probably forgotten about and we're gonna love and gush about other characters through this uh take your bets on who i'm gonna fall in love with in the next book i don't know but i I think this character in this book is magnificently written for sure what uh we you know another thing we've talked about a lot was the wizarding schools with bobens and durmstrang I think it's just cool to see a different side of the wizarding world. Agreed. And the idea of international magical cooperation. Exactly. Especially at the end when they are searching out each other to say their goodbyes and Dumbledore's big message to keep all those things alive. It really hits home. Like, Yeah. And we, you know what we didn't talk about was Dumbledore specifically 
said keep those yes. spirits mm -hmm. alive and you could see and they're always welcome and you could see the Durmstrang students and Crumb specifically like shift in their seats like Ooh, oh boy is he gonna like call us out or what was he gonna do to us and he says you're welcome back anytime yep. and uh that matters you yeah, know a lot. and i i think oh this is gonna get serious for a second but as the the world traveler that i am and you are as well one of the things i love about travel is going to other places where people have their preconceived notions. Uh, us going there and them meeting us, Americans. Mm -hmm. And you have your preconceived notions of what an American is or what a, a French person is or what a you know a Chilean person is. And then you go and you actually meet the people. Some people can't get past their preconceived notions. Some people can't. And I, I, I'm hoping if you're a world traveler, you go with open minds right. of meeting the people that are there. Those that I come into contact with, I just be me and, you know, show interest in them and break down those foolish barriers of if you're from one country, you're one thing. And that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. If you're from one house, like we've said, you're one thing. You're not. You're never not. Uh, you're never not just one amalgamation of a human being. So are those, those are there those people? Of course there are. Right. Of course there are. But not everybody's like that. So And in a situation like this, the kids at a young age are going to be able to be exposed to that fact. Which is so important yep. in creating understanding between individuals. So I loved it. Uh, personally, um, and I love that he pointed out the, the Durham string. Um, yeah, I liked that part a lot. So, I don't know. I don't know if any of that made sense. It did. <laughs> but, I think it's important. Um, but I try to do that in all my travels, is to, to meet as many of the, the locals as I can, or other travelers who are come from all other parts of the world. And I, I know on my last trip to South America, I had a dinner with a person from Ireland and Israel and Belgium and Germany, and we were all sitting at a table and we are like, wow, we have a we came from a bunch of different places and we're just talking like, you know, it's, it was a great moment. But anyway, I digress. Uh, welcome to all the listeners from those, <laughs> from those regions. I know we get a lot from Belgium. Shout out. Yeah. So where sitting schools was a big part that I particularly loved. What do you think about the Yule Ball? Uh, I've never been a huge Yule Ball fan. No? No. Why not? Uh, well, especially because of all the drama it started. I just think... It's a good representation of teen angst and is. anxiety. It is. And dances like that just make all that teen angst and teen drama so much worse. So I wish schools would just do away with them. But I think I'm pretty much alone in that opinion. <laughs> Obviously, in this particular situation, it could have been really good for that further like cooperation between learning about each other that we were talking about. And some kids take advantage. And some kids sit in a corner feeling awkward. Uh, I, I liked it in the fact that I think it's just an accurate representation of what a 14-year-old's yeah. thought process is. I, I remember being that kid. And, but no, and being I like, like it in that way, too. You're spot on. It's absolutely that and representation. also, for uh, people of our age, we were roughly reading this around that age for the first that time. true. So it maybe particularly hit a couple of extra chords, maybe, just when we were reading it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we have two major, major events that take place during this book. We have the Quidditch World Cup, and we have the Tri-Wizard Tournament itself. Indeed. 
let's let's talk Quidditch World Cup because I think we want to get more into the the tournament in spoilers section and, yeah, and kind probably. of uh, we probably won't have time in the non-spoiler <laughs> to get to it. Um, well, the Quidditch World Cup is good too because it's just another further example of all these different people in different countries coming together too like we've been talking yeah you get a you get a representation of different cultures uh with bulgaria and ireland and (laughs) things that make them it's a little stereotypical i'm not gonna lie this is real (laughs) stereotypical oh my goodness this representation particularly of the irish is a little stereotypical um and i'm not saying i haven't been at a pub on a saturday night in ireland and had fun (laughs) but at the same time there are uh, you know Regular people that work at nine to five and they're just like not getting drunk at pubs every second of every hour. It was a fun thing. I loved the leprechauns and the the vila. I think were an interesting touch. The vila were wild. I liked that touch more than the leprechauns. Yeah, um, I, I like the the vila leprechaun fight. You know, yes, it, 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 definitely. It, just some interesting kind of uh, scenarios about it. And the fact that it was so early on, like, we still hadn't gotten to Hogwarts at that point mm-hmm. in the book. It was a very long road to get to the school, which usually can be very boring, but... This time it was fun. I liked it in this book. Yeah. Uh, minus that second chapter that I absolutely hated. I like that it sets up for the, the relationship between Harry and Crumb for the rest of the book. You know, that Crumb wasn't just some random celebrity that she was talking about a lot at the Quidditch World Cup that we then got to experience him a little bit more normal. I think one of the coolest things is when he says to Harry, like, hey, I saw you fly. You're pretty good. Um, I saw you in that first task. You were solid. And I think that, like, I still go back to thinking about, like, any athletic hero that I have (laughs) saying, like, oh, man, you hit the ball well. Oh, man, that was a sweet jump shot that you hit. I'm like, oh, that'd be, like, that would mean the world to me. Absolutely. So um, that is a cool moment. I, I liked the Harry Crumb dynamic. I liked the champions dynamic of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they all, uh, like like we've talked about, uh, they all got along fairly well for being competitors. Really well, yeah, yeah. They all seemed. I feel like they didn't treat them each other like competitors. Well, I think they all had this shared bond of we can die in this thing. Yeah. Let's just all do our best and let's not put any energy into sabotaging each other. Yeah. It's all, yeah. And, you know, there's a little unwritten rule of like, you know, yeah, we're probably going to get a little extra help here or there. And, you know, that's okay. Um, and, yeah, I, I know Anna's going to come at me for my flack of the second task. But I will say this. I think all four combatants, all four champions had moments of excellence. And I think all four of them displayed why they are champions. All four of them. Mm-hmm. They all displayed their skill sets, their knowledge bases, because as much prep as you get, you still have to face the actual thing. Yeah. And I, I just think in the second task, Harry didn't do anything. But uh, the other two tasks he did, kind of. Uh, the third task was because eh, Barty Crouch cleared the way. But... Oh, come on. There was some, no, I'm saying he, he did more than the second task, for sure. He did a lot. Just because Moody cleared the way doesn't mean that he couldn't have handled it, that he wasn't prepared. Uh, no, he was prepared, but I mean, he had a mostly clear path. I give him full marks and full credit for the first task. <laughs> That's something that you can't avoid. You've got you to gotta face that head on. You don't have another choice. This is so fascinating to me. The first task has always been the one I had the most problems with Harry getting all that help. Really? Yeah. Well, okay. We'll get into that in the spoiler section. I feel like we could go on a rant about our disagreements with the tasks. Come back in the spoiler section for our rant 
on, on all of the tasks of the Triwizard Tournament. We'll get into it. Uh, we'll be right back with the spoiler section. Kill the stag! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 37, The Beginning, which is actually the end of Goblet of Fire, the beginning of a whole new era of Harry Potter, which gets crazy. So, But we, we had some task debate uh, at the end of the non-spoiler, and you threw me a, a curveball that I was not expecting. You had the first well, task. I don't despise the first task or anything, but I think that's the... T- I mean, Moody basically tells... Crouch basically tells him, get on your broom. Like, Harry doesn't have any original thought at all. And like, well, I feel like your biggest like issue with Harry in the second task is... He does he nothing. He doesn't do anything. Well, nothing. He doesn't really do anything for the first task either. Like, yes, flying is one of his skills, but once he gets the gillyweed in him, all of the things he does are his own skills. Swims. He just swims. Which, that's not true. He faced he fought, the Grindelwald. He fought off three and Grindelwald. And he fights off the Mer people when they try and stop him from helping. He didn't fight them off. He just agreed to not do what they told him not to well, do. <laughs> Swimming is scary for him because he never learned how to swim because Uncle Vernon is awful. So you give him flippers on his hands and his feet and gills. All right. So the gillyweed <laughs> like, is like apparently your biggest issue because I went through that chapter. I read the chapter and then I went through the timeline. Mm-hmm. All right. So he started freaking out and realizing he had waited too long after Christmas. Which I've always been on him about for waiting too long on this test. Okay. So that's December 25th. The The... Task takes place on February 24th. So there's the week between Christmas and New Year's, as I was reading, where I will give you, he was kind of stupid, but he was still kind of working on it. He would open the egg, try and listen to it, and try and figure out what it was suppo- what he was supposed to be getting from it. He's 14. What is he supposed to be figuring out with this egg? How many people would just decide to stick it underwater and try and figure it out? Anyway, so then... It was the Hogsmeade trip halfway through January, so that's a month before the task, mm-hmm. where he has a conversation with Hagrid that Hagrid ends up guilting him into finally taking Cedric's clue. So that's a month that he ignored Cedric's clue. Which he only did because he was uptight about Cho. Hey, 14! That logic makes sense to me, okay? Maybe I'm just a pettier person than you are. It makes sense to me. I don't know. So then, assuming he goes to the prefect's bathroom the night after that conversation with Hagrid, from that point on, he's constantly in the library, thinking of aqualungs, researching charms. Quote, he spends lunchtimes, evenings, and whole weekends in the library. He gets permission from McGonagall to use the restricted section. Actual permission. He's just not sneaking in at night. He asks Pence for help. I just think that was the best priority here. I think one of your arguments was why didn't he ask Hagrid about facing off against the mer people? What's the point of knowing how to face off against mer people mm. if you don't know how to breathe underwater not, for an hour? Not even mer people. It's just like what can be in the lake. But what's the point of knowing that if you don't know how to survive in the lake for an hour? Sure. I think his priorities were in the right place. He's just, he's 14. He couldn't figure it out. Madam Pince didn't think to tell him about the bubblehead charm. I feel like you're only... Point I will kind of accept from you. I will. I not just kind of. I will accept. Is that why didn't you go to Flitwick and ask about charms if he was convinced it was going to be a charm to help him? But for the record, he's not close to Flitwick. 
So why would he think to go to Flitwick for help when he's trying his best to follow the rules and not get a and ton he, of help? And he already knows he doesn't have the he magical skill. He was planning to disqualify himself. He was absolutely planning to qualify. He, the only time he decided he would actually listen to Dobie at what he was supposed to do is when he found out that he was supposed to be saving his wheezy. Yes. Look, what did he, like, I get you're saying he went to the library. He knew that this was a task three months in advance. Right? He had three months to prep for this thing. I feel like that is just spoken from someone who's not a procrastinator. And I am personally a I procrastinate. procrastinator. I just don't procrastinate when I know my life is potentially on the line. Just, That's when I don't procrastinate. I, don't I want to figure that out. I just don't have the issues with the second task that you do. And I, I, you're right. My biggest issue is Gillyweed in that it's... It, and not even the fact that he even <laughs> uses it. It's the fact that Gillyweed seems to be You're like... You're mad at J.K. Rowling, not at Harry. I am. No, I am. It's, 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 a, it's a thing that's a do-all. It does literally everything you need it to do, which is stupid. He should have some challenge still. Well, like even dealing with the cold of the lake should be a challenge. Well, and he that, got turned into a fish. It, it's a solve-all problem, which is stupid. But yes, that's a problem I have with J.K. Rowling, not specifically Harry Potter, but that's whatever. Yes, that is the big sticking point. But he was literally even pointed in the right direction by Myrtle in the lake. Swim that way. <laughs> like, he couldn't even, like, literally swim in that direction, Anna. Swim there. Take the help that you can get, Dan. Life <laughs> it's a lot is of hard. Help. It's a life, lot of help. Life is hard. He thought his best friend was going to die. Then he found out his other best friend was there. I don't have a problem with the second task. That's my biggest issue, is the second task. I actually liked the first task. I thought he had to actually do stuff. The first task was fun, but I feel like it wasn't third a task is a mix of the him. two, because obviously he got a lot of help being the path cleared for him, but he actually did do but things in the I think he could have, if the mix. path hadn't been cleared for him, I think he would have been successful. I think Depends. He would have been I don't happy. know what... We don't know what Crouch cleared out for him. I, I assume... You know, you got to think there are other creatures there that might be beyond his talents to take out. I don't know. I feel like Harry's a pretty resourceful kid in that type of challenge. Maybe. Uh, I feel but... like that challenge particularly was geared towards his skill set. The first task I have a problem with because if Modi hadn't told him, hey, get your broom to you, I don't think Harry would have been successful with that well, task at all. I would like to refer back to what Crouch said under Verita Serum, mind you. Of I never anticipated the level of idiocy, idiocy yeah. <laughs> that I had to deal with. We all know Harry's an idiot. We love him for <laughs> like, it. Okay. He specifically mentioned I, I couldn't like fathom what I had to deal with there. So I mean, there is a little bit of that. Literally, he had to hold his hand through the vast majority of it. Because he's fourteen. Sure, and that's the danger of it. Um, it is also a credit to the other three champions who presumably I think they had. Still I'm sure they had a significant amount of help, but not that level of help. But anyway. Coming back to 14, though, I kind of want to go back to, in the last episode, you had brought up, uh, like, the amazingness of Albus and, like, thinking on his feet and everything, which, again, still 100% there for you. But I did have a thought, and it was kind of sparked by this Instagram post I saw about, like, if Harry Potter characters were logical. And... Why Dumbledore allowed a 14-year-old to participate in the Triwizard Tournament to begin with? And obviously we wouldn't have a book if he hadn't. But it kind of like sparked a thought in me that 
did Dumbledore let Harry compete in the Triwizard Tournament and let all this happen because he kind of got to the point where he felt that it's like Voldemort is eventually going to return. This might be a situation that I can control because it's happening in my school. I think I'm just going to let this play out. And Voldemort is going to return and we can finally just face him and defeat him. And I feel like there's also, Hagrid, going back to the Hagrid conversation we were talking about in this quote, he even had the quote that he, he Hagrid speaking about Voldemort, knew he was out there, Biden is time, it had to happen, well now it has, and we'll just have to get on with it. And I feel like maybe, and the reason I think maybe this is where Dumbledore was, because he had a lot of plans in place already. Like, I know he's brilliant, but I mean, Thinking about, you know, he already had his plan of action for Arthur, dealing with the Ministry people. He already had Remus and all of the previous Order of the Phoenix members um, in place. Ready to go, yeah. He just, um, I don't know. I feel like he wanted to know. You're thinking he's yeah. he's been preparing for this for 13 years and this is his go moment. Yeah. <laughs> this is like his... He's like, you know what? I'm done with all these like postponements and letting him still be out in the world. Let's just get her done. Yeah. No, I, I mean, but... I, I think we would be foolish to assume that he hasn't been thinking about this right. and what steps he would have to take. Right. And then the other part of it is he doesn't have to think about it because he has lived through one war against right. Voldy already. So he knows generally what his tactics are going to be. So he's got he that already. Now he's got Madame Maxim available to go with Hagrid. Mm -hmm. My sense of uh, being impressed is more like he's got a lot of plates spinning and he seems to never let them drop. Oh, no, I agree. I'm Which... not taking any way or trying to take away any sort of like being impressed by him yeah. with all these different things. I'm just saying I think I think maybe that is the reason he lets this all play out. And why he's kind of taken a backseat. I don't There's know. There's a lot of child endangerment issues <laughs> there, but... Uh, isn't that just what happens with Elvis Dumbledore? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> isn't the child's retirement in general child endangerment? It might be the definition of... <laughs> Uh, like a synonym for child endangerment. Try was your tournament. Um, or just Hogwarts. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, for sure. Uh, that's definitely... It was just a thought I had. You're thinking he... This is a means to an end of, like, okay, this is going to happen. Let's kick this thing off sooner rather than later on my terms mm -hmm. instead of his terms. Right. Like a... And obviously it didn't turn out the way he expected or hoped or anything. I don't think he was hoping... Cedric would die. I don't think he was hoping Harry right. would go through all these traumatic things, but uh, I think it's part of the like the mental jujitsu going on here yes. of like, yeah. okay, I know that you're gonna do this to me, but I knew that you were gonna do this to me, so I'm gonna do this to you. But you knew that to like it's a whole yeah, it's not just giving me a headache. Let's think, and it's really yeah. just Voldy and Elvis going. Yep going mark for mark against each other and there's a lot of collateral damage yep. the trick is uh well the trick is Voldy doesn't care albus to what cares. level does he care he does care it's to what level obviously not a max level because he's still throwing pawns out there to get trucked but he he cares more than Voldy does who's just literally throwing like people into the line of fire relentlessly i, I think 
there's ways in which Albus Dumbledore and Tom Riddle are very similar. Oh, yeah. There are also ways in which they are very pointedly different, and thus the war. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Unless you have any, uh, do you have any? Uh, I, I do want to get, um, speaking of pawns and everything like that, uh, this is not a pawn. He's more of a, uh, more of a general in this whole thing, or spy, if you will, but Snape. So I have my unpopular Snape thought. Um, that you are going to hate me for, but just... I'm ready. Just uh, entertain me for a second. Okay. And it's just... I'm just throwing it out there. So, let me throw out the idea that uh, Snape's hatred of Harry, okay? Uh, Snape has treated Harry, and his other Gryffindors for that matter, like complete rubbish, right? Yeah. And yes, he's a Slytherin, and yes, there's that rivalry... And yes, Harry does look remarkably like his own childhood rival who gave him so much trouble back in school, James Potter. Okay? Yes, I know all of this. I, I, I get all of that. But do you think any part of this at all he leans into a little bit more because it just covers his return to the Death Eaters and Voldy that much more? Hating Harry Potter, hating Gryffindors, hating all of that. Gives him more credence to come back. Because now you have Draco telling his dad all the time Snape is X, Y, or Z, A, B, C, all of that. Do you think it lends more credence to his return when he makes that return? Keep in mind, Snape doesn't hate everything about Harry Potter. And this is, gonna, this is what's going to make you the... I know! She, oh, the, if you guys could see the face she just gave me. Oh! Snape doesn't hate everything about Harry Potter. Anna. No, he doesn't, Daniel. He does have a particular affinity for Harry's eyes because they are Lily's eyes, and we know the affection that Snape had for Lily Potter. The only reason he cares about his eyes is because he can't move on from Lily. I get it, but Harry is still part of Lily. Harry is still a piece of Lily Potter, inherently. But he was okay with that piece dying Snape, Snape has, when he was one year old. Snape has undertaken the most dangerous part of this entire war. I already gave him his kudos for that. To protect Harry in the overall long run. Why is he doing this? Because he... Why is he returning... He's a huge weirdo who can't get over Lily Evans. I think you're you're simplifying... Look, I'm not saying you're wrong in that he's a little bit of a creep. I'm just saying you're simplifying it to an nth degree when there's more layers there than you care to admit. That's all I'm saying. To your point, does it give him... Is part of the reason he mistreats Harry and the other Gryffindors? Yes, I agree with you. It probably gives him credence when he makes his return. Not saying it's the sole reason. But I don't think that is any of the reason that he mistreats them. I I think... Zero percent. The way I read his character when he is in those moments tormenting Neville and Harry and Hermione... The way it's written, he he takes true glee and joy from that. I don't I don't think that's in any of his act. I, I think that is him. Like a zero percentile. Yeah. Like I think that is the true Severus okay. Snape. I think as far as it, he wants to redeem himself for Lily, going back to your point about like the eyes and, and Lily and everything. I, I still don't think that has anything to do with Harry. I think it is very much about Lily, and he wants to redeem himself for Lily because Lily was killed 
because of choices he made. My question back for you would be, had Voldemort not killed Lily Evans, would Severus Snape have come over to Dumbledore? Would Severus Snape be doing all these brave things to turn spy and try and bring down Voldemort? Like, other than Lily dying, are we ever told of any other regrets he has from his actions as a serving Death Eater? Uh, no. And I think that, okay, if we're, oh, wow. I know we're supposed to get into, like, uh, forward of Order of the Phoenix here for a second, but this, this is going to get a little bit deeper into Snape. Yes, there is the obsession with Lily. There is the... I almost feel bad saying it's the obsession uh, uh, with Lily because, he, you know, he, he had feelings for Lily throughout their childhood through Hogwarts, right? Mm -hmm. He feels responsible for her death. I feel that's if I liked someone at any point in time and then felt responsible for that person's death, yes, they would be on my mind a lot no. because I would feel personally responsible for someone who I truly liked or loved in this world being gone. But, okay. But Obsession might be he, a touch harsh. Did he truly like her and have feelings for her and respect her? Would he have been able to call her a mudblood? Would he have been able to be a part of this group who thought Lily was inferior and thought Lily basically should just be like a slave or killed or I don't sure. know what they thought should have happened sure. to Lily. Sure. How could he have had true love and feelings for her and still be part of that? Well, here's, and I'll throw this back at you as, a, as another question, but I think what separates Severus Snape from your Bellatrix Lestranges, from your Dolohoffs, from your Mulsibers, from your other, from your Barty Crouch Juniors, mm -hmm. for that matter, from your yeah. typical Death Eater, mm -hmm. is the fact that he actually truly cared about someone other than himself for even a minute, because they don't care about human life. They discard them so carelessly. They don't think twice about it. If Dolohoff is killing a parent of like Remus Lupin, he doesn't care. He just does it. it, it Bellatrix doesn't give a care in the world to killing Sirius. Her blood relative doesn't care. Severus recognizes that someone that he's cared about has gone, and he feels personal responsibility for that, and he leaves and ditches that. You can't say that about any of the other Death Eaters. That's what separates him from the others. So you're saying if Lily doesn't die, does that change? Does Severus still make the same choices? Probably not. But the fact that he does change separates him from everybody else. He wouldn't have changed if James and Harry had died. Probably not. Uh, but you have others that just ki would kill all three of them and not blink twice. But I feel like your argument then is like, oh, let's hold Snape up because he's not as bad as the other maniacal. No, no, leaders. no. What I'm saying is, Snape has flaws, and I'm and I'm not erasing those or uh, putting them in a wonderful Lucius collage <laughs> of paper mache and whatever. I'm not. 
I'm, I'm not. Snape has one of those with Lily. I'm not smoothing over any of those rough edges that Snape has. I'm just saying there's layers to him. Yeah. And if you're going to fault him for A, B, and C, you should also consider X, Y, and Z. There's more to him than just your typical Death Eater. There's more to him than your typical Order of the Phoenix member. There's if you're gonna take him out for the things that he's done poorly, like terrorizing Neville Longbottom, then recognize that his obsession, quote-unquote, for Lily has layers to it. There's reasons for that. I can't fault him necessarily for feeling responsible for someone he's cared about losing their life and then dwelling on it. I would, and I, you know, that'd be a hard thing to fault someone for. And I get that it can come across as unhealthy and you can debate the health of that and we've debated therapy and all i'm not saying he shouldn't go through therapy for all of that all i'm saying is that there are layers and there's a lot you have to look into and a lot you have to consider yeah snape's done a lot of bad stuff and he's it's inexcusable and it can't be ignored he's also done some great stuff and he feels remorse over some of the bad stuff he's done for the right or wrong reasons, the fact that he even feels remorse at all separates him from a lot of the people on Voldy's side. Okay. And that's all I'm saying. We both did the thumbs up to each other. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping we're having a good conversation about this and we're at least proposing some ideas and some thoughts, but I, whatever. It was a good conversation. Order of the Phoenix Yay. is coming up next. Emo Harry, I can't wait. We just had like four chapters of the trauma this poor 14-year-old has gone through. I don't care. <laughs> Obviously I care. I almost started crying talking about it, but it's fine. There is real reason why he feels the way he does. Uh, which is why I don't have the negative thoughts <laughs> about Order of the Phoenix that many people do. And it'll be interesting it's, as we go it's forward. It's a big, not just in size, it's a big book. It's a big it's book. It's going to be a good one. It's a big book, and there is a whole lot in it. It's my favorite book for a couple of different reasons. Which I know surprised you way back when in our, I think, first episode. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into why that is. But uh, I, there's just a lot I love about it. There's a lot in it too, love. There, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I make fun of emo Harry a lot, but it's it's an easy thing to make fun of. But right. there are real reasons for it, which is my explanation for it. It's not like this just comes out of nowhere. But a lot of people did feel like it came out of nowhere because there was a large gap between book four and oh, book five. Gosh, so long. And if you haven't so read, long. if you didn't read these last couple of chapters before reading book five, and you just got into book five, you'd be like, "What is this kid?" Which is fair, and probably a lot of people did that. But having just read Goblet of Fire... Wait, the parts of Emo Harry that bother me are not so much his, like, angst that would come from what we just finished reading. I have a heart for that stuff. There's other stuff about Emo Harry that is the reason that I mock it so much. Well, I'm excited to get all of the bits and details on that. I love Goblet of Fire. It's one of my favorite books. I don't know. I, I, I love the book. And there's so much to it, and there's such great writing in it. I can't wait to get to some of these things in Order of the Phoenix. Tonks. Yeah. More Kingsley. I, I, there's, a, there's a lot the there. The real Moody. The, the actual real <laughs> Alistair Moody, yes. 
So a lot to, lot to dig into, so we are very excited. There will be some changes to the podcast. All good, all good. Um, doesn't necessarily change how you listen or how you interact with us, but um, you'll notice a couple of different changes going forward, including a new intro and a new break sound, which we will be very excited to debut next week. So with that, um, we will leave it here for Goblet of Fire. Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. We appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.